morning, everybody. All right. If you'll take that last fall on an actual Bible, Philippians chapter 2. Um, we're going to get there in a second. If uh, this is your first time um, seeing me, um, this is all I do for a living. I travel around and speak. I've had the incredible privilege of being mentored by a pastor who just happens to have his rabbi training as well. So all, all my stuff comes from that bent. I also have a master's degree in clinical psychology. So I'm actually qualified to sort your head out. So careful what you say to me because I can see through all that stuff. Um, on your way out today, you're going to see a gigantic resource table. Um, if you're on your way out today and you cannot find my resource table, seek medical help because it's taking up half the room out there, right? And if you go, man, that is huge. Why would you carry that around with you? The reason is, is because we make a lot of money from it. Okay? And the reason we do that is because we live with the conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die that we're called to say yes to the infinite possibilities that Jesus has for our life here on this earth to bring heaven to this earth to where every place we see hell. And so the way I run my ministry is all over the world, 100% of, of what we make at the table, we give to the poor and the afflicted. We have three orphanages in China that look after mentally handicapped kids, two in Hinyang, one in Changsha. Um, here, we have a, um, a ministry home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking. But we, we don't just do that. We get them off drugs. We get them high school educated. We get them job trained so we can break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Town flats. In, in 12 years, I have never, ever taken one rand out of this country. Okay? The reason is, is because I'm American, all right? And you have to divide it by 13. And that's just stupid. And so what we do is we leave it here. So there's something very special going on out there today um, for Levin Wood Centurion, all right? Anything you want out there, it's, it's available in four formats, CD, DVD, USB, and direct download. Anything you want in hard copy, so CDs and DVDs, anything you want is donation only. Whatever you can afford to make a donation to the home that's getting girls out of sex trafficking. If it's 50 rand, it's 50 rand. If it's 10 rand, it's 10 rand. Whatever you can afford. Now, if you can afford it, it's staying here in this country to get girls out of sex trafficking. I just came from Cape Town, and the government there say it's going so good. The Department of Justice or whoever that is, they've asked us to consider expanding. They've actually given us a house, okay? Now, that's only the, the, lodging people is only part of the story, right? But you... You got to feed them, clothe them, educate them. We have, we have psychologists on staff to, because they're traumatized, right? And so all of that. So it's donation only. If you have, if, if you could pay full price, fine, but, but it's just donation only. And for 500 Rand, if you hand them 500 Rand, you could just pick up all you want, all right? All you want of the hard copy stuff. I, I just, I, I want to be able to bless these guys down in, uh, down at Life Changers. And uh, we're just, we're just going to do it together, all right? So on your way out, stop by. If you see something sold out, that doesn't mean you can't get it. It just means we have to download it for you. I, I have the technology now that can make it appear on your phone right <laughs> come on and um and, and so just uh come on out there say hello to theo and melissa please be patient because with that kind of deal this is like 90 percent off stuff that kind of deal it's gonna get rushed it's okay we, we, just it take five more minutes to just you know you know, don't don't punch the person in front of you get out get out of the way no 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 we're just gonna be kind to each other and uh, and and say hello out there. All right, I want to talk to you. Oh, one more thing before we get started. I want to give you an authentic um, invitation back tonight. If you've been following me, I've been coming to this church. I've been coming to Living of Wood in Brumaria for got to be 12 years. And then, then I spoke for a guy named Nolan and Mort. And, um, and then I met the guy that was in charge here. And then I've been coming here since then. And, um, and if, if you've been around me very long at all, you know that I put together something very special for Sunday night. The reason I do that is so that I can invite everybody from all the meetings to come on Sunday night. So I'd like to give you an authentic invitation for tonight. Um, if you give us an hour and 15 minutes tonight or so, that's the whole service. That's just not my part. I, I promise you it'll change your life. Okay. Listen, this is how much I believe in it. All right. If you come tonight and it doesn't change your life, I will personally out of my own pocket, I'll pay you back for whatever they charge you to come. Okay. So whatever, whatever the fee is to come tonight, it's risk-free. It's absolutely risk-free. You, you could do that. Now, um, I, I want to talk to you this morning uh, about the book of Philippians. I want to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, the cross and resurrection, but not the cross and resurrection as a doctrine. The cross and resurrection is not something to simply be believed in. 
The cross and resurrection is something that should fundamentally shift the way we see our whole world. It is not something that we just go, yeah, we believe in it. It's a, it's a bullet point on a pamphlet somewhere. That's cheap and boring. The cross and resurrection is much more profound than that. The cross and resurrection should be not just something that happened, but something that happened that fundamentally shifts the way we see our whole world. And there's this guy named Paul, and he's in jail. Let me give that its 15 seconds of due. Because sometimes it just rolls off our tongue. Yeah, Paul wrote this while he was in prison. Hang on. He was chained to a wall, being tortured every day by the Roman soldiers, and eventually is executed at the hands of a guy named Nero in 57 AD. This was no picnic. Nero was a particular narcissist who had a particular ritual with Christians where he would take a wooden stick and he would try to ram it into your rectum as hard as he could in order to penetrate both orifices at once. That's how he wanted you to die. He then covered you in tar and set you on fire and used you as a human torch to keep his backyard alight. This guy was a maniac. If you think the world's getting worse, please read a history book. That's the kind of stuff that Paul um, was dealing with. Oh, also, Nero forced every person in the Roman Empire to address him with two words, curios and soter, Lord and Savior. So if you address Nero, you had to address him as my Lord and Savior Nero, or my Lord and Savior, I beseech you. And if he wrote you back, he would write you back by saying your Lord and Savior compels you. There was forced pledges of allegiance all over the Roman Empire at Olympic Games to our Lord and Savior Nero. So when a guy named Paul is chained to a wall, fixing to be killed by this guy, and he starts his letter from jail, grace and peace be to you from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is not a bullet point for a pamphlet or something to just be read over. This is a guy chained to a wall, fixing to be killed, going up yours Nero. You're not going to get the last word here. This is a hero. And he says inspiring things like this will turn out for my deliverance. All things are possible. If God started it, he'll complete it. Stand firm against your adversary for what might look like your destruction will actually be your salvation. And then he gets in chapter two to how we treat each other. And he says this phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He gives a bunch of thoughts on that. And I want to focus all morning on the first thought. Here is the first thought after he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here it is. Philippians 2 verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, let's just stop right there. How have we done with that? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Are Afrikaans Christians known for their ability to do all things without grumbling or disputing? I think the Afrikaans for that would be Alice Muni Muni. Come on, that's not that bad. As much Bible thumping as I hear in this world, I've never heard that Bible thumped. And for you Bible nerds, I can actually read that in Greek. The word all there is actually all. But Shane, my husband's an idiot. I know. All. You mean that guy that would gladly die for you if an intruder came in your house tonight? That guy? Let's let it go. All. But shame my wife. Yep. Yep. All. You mean that woman that would stand next to you if everybody else left you? That one? All. But shame he said something I disagree with. Uh-huh. All. But shame it was about the Bible. Yep. Leave the preachers alone, hey? Here's what preaching is. Preaching is spending 10 hours with four researchers putting together a talk that's going to take 40 minutes to deliver so that some nameless, faceless coward who hasn't spent 10 seconds thinking about it can try to destroy you on the internet. 
do all things without grumbling or arguing. Actually, in an earlier uh, letter, he says it this way in Romans 14. He says, never, ever, 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 ever quarrel over a disputable matter. And then he calls all things disputable. <laughs> he says, oh, what day, all this, oh, whether you eat bacon or not, whether you circumcise or not. Nah, 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 nah. He says, the only thing that's indisputable is Jesus is the Christ. He was crucified. The resurrection is true. Other than that, never, ever, ever find yourself quarreling over a disputable matter. As a matter of fact, in Romans 1423, he says, whatever faith you've come to in Jesus on disputable matters, keep it between yourself and God. The actual Greek there is, shut up. <laughs> or maybe, blay still. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then he uses some very serious language. Watch what he says after this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Really? Is Paul allowed? Is Paul tying our innocence to our basic disposition in conflict? Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, amongst whom you shine like stars or shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, Nero's fixing to kill me. I'm fixing to lose my life. And I'd love to know that I didn't waste my life. And one of the ways I'm going to know I didn't waste my life is that Christians all over this world choose to do all things without grumbling or disputing. This is a guy chained to a wall fixing to die, going, still do all things without grumbling about the world around you. This is a guy living in incredible injustice saying, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, a couple things for you Bible nerds. First, the word all is all. Second, Paul is a first century rabbi who is quoting specific passages from the Old Testament. Now, I don't have time this morning to exegete all of this, so if you're a studier, I put the references up there for you. You can look at it later. If you're not a studier, it's not going to matter to you anyway. If you could hit that next slide for me. No grumbling is a reference to Exodus 16 and Numbers 14, by the way. Um, blameless and pure is a reference to Genesis 17. Warped and crooked generation is a reference to Deuteronomy 32. Shine like stars is a reference to Daniel 12 and run in vain is a reference to Isaiah 65. Let me say it in one statement. Here's what he's doing. Paul is quoting specific passages about the Exodus story in Philippians. Here is the basics of it. In the Exodus story, God reached out to a group of people who didn't earn it and did not deserve it, and he saved their life. And then subsequent to God saving them, they grumbled about things less important than that. And so Moses, by Deuteronomy 32, Moses says, I'm so fed up with your grumbling. You are no longer God's children. You're a warped and crooked generation. Paul is quoting that in Philippians saying, God saved them and they grumbled. God has saved you. You do not have to repeat history. You can actually live to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, you can allow the cross and resurrection to fundamentally shift the way you see your whole world by choosing not to grumble or dispute. You don't have to follow their example. You can do something better, and that is what it means to shine like lights in the world. So if we were to say, we need to be a light in our community in Centurion, no one's going to disagree with that. No one's going to go, no, we need more darkness. No. But the question is, is what does that mean? And when, when, when the Bible says to shine like lights, the first definition it uses is, is that it is being a light in our world to be known as people who do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, one more thing for you Bible nerds. Next slide. Paul's essentially saying, don't be, freed, don't be like the freed Israelites and grumble. Rather, shine like stars. Ne ne next slide. The word grumble in Greek is gongizmon. 
Now let me say that slowly, because we're going from Greek to English to Afrikaans here. Gongizmon. In English, a gong is an out-of-place symbol. The word translated grumble is an out-of-place symbol. This is a common metaphor in Paul's writings. Here's what he's saying. Leavened of wood, as a, as a church, your family, your business, it's like a song. And for a song to go, you've got to know your part. You've got to know whether you're singing lead or whatever. And here's the truth about music. You can have the greatest, you can have the greatest guitar player in Centurion standing right here, next to the best singer, next to the best bass player, next to the best keyboard player. I even notice you have a violin up here, okay? You can have all that together, but if the drummer is off, it butchers the song. There's no such thing as a musician that is good enough to overcome bad drumming. Nobody. If, the, if everybody could be playing in the right notes, at the right rhythm, but if the drummer is just hammering the cymbal at the wrong time, it butchers the song. Paul says that's what grumbling is. Grumbling is when you refuse to be a part of the song and you choose to be a gong. That's what grumbling is. Grumbling is I've lost the plot, I've lost my place in the song, so I'll simply make noise with my mouth. That's grumbling. Grumbling is I'm refusing to stay in step with where the organization's going, so I'm going to start pointing out everything that's wrong with it, and I'm going to force the whole thing to start over because of my selfishness. That's grumbling. If you're the type that only listens to one line in a sermon, and that's what you remember, here it comes. Be a part of the song and never a gong. Be a part of the song and never a gong. There's one thing that Levin of Wood as an organization should never tolerate, and it's a Christian grumbling or disputing, because we are clearly mandated in Scripture to do all things without grumbling or arguing. There's a... Um, there's an ancient rabbinical parable that's told about this. Now, this is not in the Bible, but it's a, it's a parable that rabbis tell to help us understand the Bible. And it's about the Exodus story. Here's how the parable goes. It goes like this. It says, As the children of Israel were walking through the Red Sea, there were two slaves who started to get two pieces of mud between their toes. And they got so focused on the mud between their toes that they started grumbling about the mud between their toes. And what happened was, is they got so focused about the mud between their toes that they lost sight of the walls of water being held back for their redemption. They, got, they lost sight of the big thing God was doing at the expense of two pieces of mud. Which leads me to this question. Have we lost sight of the water at the expense of the mud? Have we lost sight of everything God's doing in this world because one or two things aren't going so good? That, which leads me to this. You do not judge success on a plotted point. You judge success on a trajectory line. Let me give you an example of what I mean. That's the problem with the news. The news can only give you plotted points, not the whole trajectory. And if you get caught in that, you could get very negative very quickly. Let, let me explain. If I was to say, um, let me tell you about my money. Um, I have 500000 U.S. dollars in the bank, and I have zero debt. Am I winning or am I losing? The answer is you can't possibly know, because all I did was give you a plotted point. But, but what if I said, let me tell you the whole story. Four years ago, I inherited a hundred million U.S. from my rich uncle, and I'm an idiot, and I'm down to my last 500,000. Am I winning or am I losing? I'm losing. But what if I started with nothing and I've made it to 500,000 with no debt? And am I winning or losing? I'm winning. So two people can be at the exact same plotted point and one be winning and one be losing because you do not judge success on plotted points. You judge success on trajectory lines. And sometimes we lose sight of the trajectory getting better and better and better and better and better because we get focused on one or two plotted points. And that is immature at best. I, it sickens me. When I hear Christians go, we believe in Jesus, but the world's getting worse. What are, first, what are you talking about? Second, is Jesus accomplishing what he meant to do in this world or not? This world, is God done redeeming the world? No. Is it better? Yes. Like nothing is getting worse. Nothing. Seriously. 
The world is getting better and better and better and better and better. Okay, <clears throat> this is earth. Are there a couple things not going so well? Yes. Like if you woke up today in Aleppo, Syria, not a good day. If you woke up today as a woman under extremist Islamic rule, that's not a good day. But in general, the world's getting better. The trajectory of the world's going up. Okay. You say, Shane, give me an example. Okay. Life expectancy. Life expectancy in Jesus' day was 32 years old. By 1550, it had ballooned to 37. By 1850, it was 43. It wasn't until 1925, first time in the history of the world, that we were living on average to 50. And that was only in Western countries. Global life expectancy did not cross 50 years old until 1948. Is God done? Now we're living into our 80s. Is God done redeeming long life? No. Is it better than it's ever been? Yes. Medicine is better, which is why we're living longer. Okay. Would you rather have dental work today or in 1950? Or in 1850? Today, they can numb your entire mouth with a well-placed shot of Novocaine into a nerve bundle behind your jaw before they drill into your tooth. Today, they numb your mouth with Novocaine. 1850, whiskey. Novocaine is better. Okay. Would you rather have a colonoscopy today? Or in 1950? Or in 1850, when they just sort of looked around. <laughs> Is God done redeeming it? No. Is it better? Yep. Number one selling cough medicine in 1900. Top selling cough medicine in 1900 was, wait for it, heroin. It was legal. Oh, look, Billy's not coughing anymore. <laughs> Actually, Billy's not doing much of anything anymore. Is God done redeeming it? No. Is it better? Yep. Could, could you imagine if your great-great-grandfather came back from the dead and lived with you for two days? how much you would have to explain to him about how much better the world is. Imagine trying to explain to your great-great-grandfather, listen, the world's worse. No way. Imagine that. Imagine him coming back from the dead and you just think about your house. What's that? That's a car. What's that do? Takes us wherever we want to go at 120K an hour on a paved road. What's that? That's a tap. What's that do? It brings clean water into our house under pressure. What's that? It's the other tap. What's that do? That's the hot water. You have hot water coming into your house under pressure. Yeah. What's that? That's toilet paper. It is awesome. It is awesome. Tree bark is out of fashion now, Grandpa. Toilet paper is the end thing, right? What's that? That's dyskim. What's that do? They sell pills. Pills to do what? Anything. That pill takes away a headache. That pill, if you're going to be in an awkward situation and you don't want to have to go to the bathroom, that pill will purposely constipate you. Your great grandfather, like, you take pills to constipate yourselves? Yep, yep. That pill is for when you're ready to be unconstipated, it will unconstipate you. What, what's that over there? That, that's the cosmetic section. What's that? That's where we buy creams and powders to make ourselves prettier. What? Do you know, according to Forbes magazine, last year, 
3.8 billion US dollars, 3.8 billion US dollars was spent on cosmetics by men. What are you doing? It's not working. You can see your forehead from a satellite dish. We have so much extra money now. We have so much extra money. You know, according to Forbes magazine, the generation turning 19 years old now has more money than the previous four generations before it combined had at that age. And all you got to do is talk to them. You ask a 19-year-old, what, 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 what are your plans? Well, you know what I'm thinking about doing? I'm thinking about taking a year off and walking around Europe. Who had that kind of money? I guess they do. I'm going to take a year off and look at old buildings and drink 10-pound coffee. That makes no sense. But they've got money. They've got money. Hey, we have so much extra money now that there is multiple businesses around Centurion where people make a full-time wage rubbing people. That's a relatively new thing. Hey, I'll pay you 400 rand for an hour for you to rub my shoulders because they're feeling a bit tight. What? We have so much extra money that there are people in Centurion. There's at least one person in Centurion this week making a full-time wage permanently removing women's facial hair. My great-grandmother didn't have that. You should have seen him. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Is God done redeeming the world? No. Is it better? Yes. Murder rate. Murder rate in Europe in 1400 was 100 murders per 100,000 people. Today it's one. The murder rate has literally dropped 100 times and we're still complaining? Are you kidding me? Is God done redeeming violence? No. Is it better? Yes. According to the World Health Organization, 2014 was the most peaceful year in the history of the world. Less deaths by violence than any other time in the history of the world. You should see the graph on it. Like deaths because of war in 1300s up here and it goes down, 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 down. 1941, big spike, right? And then back down. And by 2016, 17, 18, you can't even see it. Is God done redeeming violence? No. Is it better? Yes. According to the World Health Organization, 92% of the world was living in poverty in 1820 by today's definition of poverty. It, we have so much extra money that they just keep raising. Now, is God done redeeming poverty? Absolutely not. Is it better? Yes. Now, this is earth. Are there a couple pieces of mud that we can focus on between our toes? Of course, but we don't want to focus on the mud and lose sight of the water. Are you kidding me? There's a couple things not going so good. Syria is not going well. Radical Islamic rule, not going so well if you live there. Not going so well, right? Okay, so for the sake of honesty, there's one thing that's getting worse. One. In the Western world, there's one thing that get, that's getting worse. The stats are unmistakable on this. Divorce rates are going up and marriage rates are going down. <clears throat> that's a fact. And that's not going so well. Divorce rates are in fact going up. But why are divorce rates going up? Why? Simple. We're living longer. When you die at 32, till death do us part, more doable. <clears throat> now you got to live with them to 84? Good Lord! Is God done redeeming all this? No. Is it better? Yep. So why is it that we grumble? I, I think if we could understand why our default button is to grumble or dispute. Um, I think it could help us uh, solve this. So let's, let's look at this. We're, we're, we're to do all things without grumbling or disputing. So, so a couple things. Next slide. I think we grumble when we forget to remember. Like we, we grumble when we forget to remember our nation's awesome. You woke up this morning in South Africa, a country with motor cars, paved road stores that prepackage food for you, clean water in your tap, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world-class healthcare right down the road. This is, when I hear South Africans complain about South Africa, I'm thinking, my God, man, where are you going to go? Like, if you can't make it here, 
Where are you going to go? Our health is a gift. Hey, I woke up this morning without a chemotherapy appointment. That's good. Our life is awesome. Our health. Our transportation. Like, I fly every week of my life. Every week. Every week of my life I fly. And you know what? I've seen people grumble over a 20-minute flight delay. They're grumbling and disputing over a 20-minute flight delay. Our great-great-grandparents were like, what are you... It took me six months to get there on a boat, and I just hoped I didn't die of vitamin C deficiency on the way. And you're fixing to jump into the most technologically advanced piece of machinery ever invented in the history of the world. It's going to fly you at 36,000 feet at 900 Ks an hour to wherever you want to go. You could go from Johannesburg to D.C. in 16 hours while digitally streaming on-demand movies the whole way, and someone is bringing you you free coke at the push of a button and you could still complain my god a long-haul flight today is simply a 15-hour movie marathon where somebody brings you free coke and we could still complain and here's the thing right in case you didn't know this Richard Branson has invented a plane that can go Sydney to Dallas in an hour I'm in. I'm not on the first one. They're going to have to do that mug about a thousand times. But after that, I'm in. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Catch this. It doesn't fly faster. It flies higher. Because if you could fly higher at 96,000 feet instead of 36,000 feet, because the world is round... If you fly at 96,000 feet instead of 36,000 feet, your relative ground speed is 10,800 miles an hour, and you can go anywhere in the world in an hour. <laughs> the only trick is, is how do you come down in such a way to where people's heads don't blow off? <laughs> They'll figure it out. They should try that with rats a few times, and then, <laughs> and then add the undesirables or whatever. Yeah. Our transportation is awesome. Our homes are awesome. I've been in your homes. You realize that for most of you, even if you live in like an average home in Pretoria, it's like kings lived in the 1400s. I mean, this is awesome. Our health, our transportation, our roads, our water, literacy. Literacy rate in Jesus's day was 3%. By 1400, it was 30%. Literacy rate didn't cross 50% in the world to the late 1700s. It's just better. It's better and better and better. We're still grumbling? What? How uncompelling is that? There's nothing less compelling than two people who say they believe in Jesus arguing about a petty verse in the Bible on the internet for the whole world to see. That is boring and uncompelling. It is terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> boring. It's the only part in the Bible that I wish Jesus and Paul would have been Afrikaners because nobody says munia pupo vies nias leaf like an Afrikaner. <laughs> you guys have nailed that one. Munia pupo vies Next slide. I think we grumble when we forget to remember the stories larger. We focus on the mud and miss the water. Or maybe we can say it this way. Next slide. We grumble when we think we need more or we compare ourselves to what others have. We start believing we've lacked something. So instead of looking in and up, we look right and left to get our value. And when we look right and left, all we tend to notice are people who have more than us. So, 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 so we, we, want, we want that bigger house. Why? Why do we want a bigger house? We have more to clean. We have rooms we never actually walk in. Here's what we do. We sign up for 30 years of entirely too much pressure. We, we pay every month for rooms we never actually walk in so that people we don't like will think we're more successful than we actually are. And that makes sense? Come on. We grumble when we compare. 
When we look right and left instead of in and up to get our value. Let, let's say it this way. Next slide. The idea, oh yeah, next one. The idea that I will have peace and contentment at some unknown point in the future, that's just a lie. That lie says, if I just get this, then this will be okay. Like, if I just lose that weight, if I just lose 15 kilos, I'll feel better about myself. No, you won't. And listen, if you need to lose 15 kilos, please do. It'll be good for you. It's good for your joints. It's good for your circulation. It's good for your heart, your blood pressure, your metabolism. It's good for lots of things. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. You'll just be a 15 kilo lighter version of your discontented self. It just doesn't work. Like if I just meet that person, Shane, if I just meet that person, I'll feel better. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because there's no such thing as a happy marriage that was forged between two miserable single people. Like, God, we hated our lives. And then we got married and fixed it all. No. Marriage doesn't solve problems. Marriage magnifies them. Right? No. No. Right? If I just get that raise or that job or that shirt or that car, it's called the lie of the sacred object. The idea that something out there will make me feel better. It, it won't. Ne ne next slide. I think we grumble when we feel God has shorted us. Like if we don't sort this out, this is, then nothing else will work. If we don't sort out the idea that God has been good to me, God has been good to me. If we don't sort that out, that if God didn't do one more thing for any of us, God has been good to me. We'll find ourselves grumbling when actually most of the world has it worse than us. Haven't we all had that moment that was a perspective check? Like we were grumbling about traffic only to get a phone call about one of our friends whose kid just got diagnosed with cancer. And you're like, I was just grumbling about traffic and wait, hold it. It's a, it's, it, we've all had those moments of perspective. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm grumbling about this when that's going on? No, 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 no. Has God, for us to beat grumbling, we have to settle in our heart that God has been good to me. We have to decide to stop comparing ourselves to other people. And we have to keep sight of the big story instead of the one or two things not going so well. Let, let's say it this way. Next slide. We grumble when we judge the future by the present. We, 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 when, we, when we get convinced that tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday, the, the, the philosophical word for that is despair. Despair is the idea that tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday. But resurrection as a worldview doesn't allow for that. Resurrection says, if you were wrong about death, what else could you be wrong about? New creation could birth forth right in the middle of this one. All things are possible. If God could handle the chaos at creation, what more could he handle with the chaos in your life? That resurrection can change everything. The, 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 the psychological word for that is freezing the present. Freezing the present is the idea that this pain will never leave. It's always going to be here. It's always going to be here. And when, you, when we get into despair and freezing the present, we lose all of our focus and energy and we grumble. We grumble. And listen, let's just admit it. It's just in us to freeze the present. Like, heck, if we get a bad enough cold, four days into a bad cold, we're thinking, I'll never breathe again. Or, or, or maybe heartbreak is a better example of that. R remember the first person that broke up with you? Remember your first breakup, right? Of course you do, right? I do. I remember the first girl that broke up with me, right? So she, it was mutual. Don't you think anything less than that? It was absolutely mutual. But I was the one all tore up about it. I was the one, all, oh, no, oh, God, oh, I love her so much. Oh, this is a disaster. Oh, <laughs> I'll never meet anybody. I was 14, you know. 14, everything's a disaster. She breaks up with me and I'm all upset. I think it'll never end. You know? My dad picks me up from school and I'm pouting. You know? I get in the car. Dad says, hey, what's the matter with you? And if you're a parent of a teenager, you all know what I said. What did I say? Nothing. Nothing. Hey, what's the matter with you? Nothing. My dad said, nothing? Then tell your face that, right? Because your face says there's a problem. So if there's actually nothing going on, then fix your flipping face. Because your face has a problem. So I get home, 
I'm still pouting, you know. Dad let it go. About an hour later, he comes into my room. He says, hey, you going to tell me or not? I said, Dad, she broke up with me. I love her so much. <laughs> this could be awful. <laughs> my dad looked at me straight in the face. He said, are you crying over a girl? I was like, yeah, Dad. He says, hang on, I need to teach you something. He said, um, it's going to require, oh, hang on, I'll be right back. He leaves the room, comes back with this small potted plant, very small potted plant. He said, I need you to hold the potted plant because I'm going to teach you a lesson about life. And, I, and I'm thinking he's going to teach me about seeds and new life. And, you know, this. anyway, he hands me the potted plant and he says, the lesson is this. If you're going to cry over a girl, at least cry into the plant so your tears will do something. God, you're embarrassing. And you know he was right. Two weeks later, new girl. Forget her, right? Right? Life, life moves on. You don't freeze the present. Let, let, let's say it one more way. Next slide. We grumble when we forget life is a marathon and not a sprint. This is a quote from the great Franciscan monk, Richard Rohr, who has a PhD in saying profound things. We, we, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in 10. In other words, sometimes we grumble when we don't see the result quick enough and we feel like a failure, but it's actually not failing. It's just a gross overestimation of what we could have done in a year anyway, but it's a gross underestimation of what we can accomplish if we just stick with it for 10 years and we grumble. Why do we grumble? Well, we grumble because we lose sight of the whole story. We forget to remember. We grumble when we compare. We grumble when we haven't settled that God has been good to me. We grumble when we freeze the present. And we grumble when we forget life is a marathon and not a sprint. Now, if you're the type of person who listens to the first four minutes of a message, and then you tune out, and then when you feel the message winding down, you come back for the last four minutes, Now's your time. So, so you men who you know your wife is going to quiz you in the car as to where you're paying attention or not, here's your moment. Let me bail you out. This is the entire message as simply as I can state it. Next slide. No grumbling. Shine like stars. All things without grumbling or disputing is what it means to shine like stars. Now, great sermons are not meant to be agreed with, nor are they meant to be disagreed with. Great sermons are meant to be wrestled with. So if you come up to me afterwards and go, I don't like that, I disagree with you, you've missed the point. I don't care. Or if you say, I love that, I agree with you, you also missed the point. Great sermons are not meant to be evaluated in the amount of time it took to deliver them. Great sermons are meant to be eventual in nature. In other words, they're meant to fundamentally shift our world. We're meant to wrestle with these things. And so the best way to wrestle is with questions. So, so let's ask a few questions about this morning. Is shining as simple as not grumbling? Is being light in our world simply being known as the group of people who don't grumble or argue with each other? And how are we doing with that? Is shining as simple as keep going? There's something inspiring about somebody that keeps going in the middle of an obstacle. There's nothing inspiring about someone who's not going through anything. Like if I was to say, I brought my friend Bill here today. Bill's going to tell you his testimony. And Bill goes, hello, everybody. My name's Bill. Let me tell you about my life. My life is awesome. My marriage is awesome. My children are awesome. My business is booming. And when I think about my past, I pretty much nailed that too. We don't want to know him. Like we might be happy for him, I guess, but there's nothing inspiring about that. Inspiring people are the ones who hit bumps and they keep their head up, their shoulders back, their hands clean, their heart pure, their taste sweet, and they move forward. That is inspiring. What's inspiring is someone going through something, not grumbling or complaining. 
is shining as simple as knowing we have enough right now. There's something moving about someone who has settled their need for material things. Maybe we say it, maybe the most clear way is this. Next slide. Where do we need to repent from grumbling? Okay, let's give this its 15 seconds of due, okay? In the last three days, have we grumbled? And why do we, and how do we rationalize that when it's clearly mandated, do all things without grumbling? Do we need to repent from that? I do. I grumbled. I'll, I'll, tell, you about it. I'll tell you about what it was about. I don't mind. I'll be authentic. I grumbled about the interchange between the N1 and the N3. Because whoever, whoever designed that thought no one would ever show up. <laughs> Took me an hour and 20 minutes to get from Kailami to the airport. Because something happened on that interchange. And I don't know another way, so I must go what the GPS says. You know? So I was grumbling. Let me paint the picture for you. I was in the car by myself, grumbling with no one else there to hear it, which is a whole nother set of psychological problems. <laughs> and you know what happened? I knew that I was gonna be preaching this message and I got very convicted, truly. And I had this conversation with God. This is what I said. I said, Lord, I'm in a motor car on a paved road, traveling to a place where I'm gonna be able to fly at 900 kilometers an hour to wherever I need to go. And they're gonna feed me food and give me drink. And I can easily afford all of that. And I'm still finding something to complain about. Would you forgive me? That's not clever. That's not lecker. That's stupid. You know what happened? 20 minutes later, I saw where a van drove under an earth-moving machine, and that's what was causing it, and it ripped the entire top off that car. I'm certain someone died. And then it put that whole thing in perspective. Where do we need to stop and make a commitment? You know what? For the next 24 hours, I'm not going to grumble. Do whatever you got to do to build it into the culture of your home or this church. Build banners, shine like stars, t-shirts, write songs. Evidently, he's very clever at writing impromptu songs. So, shine like stars, shine like stars, right? right? Ev evidently, evidently, I don't understand Afrikaans, but evidently I need to slow down in my speech, right? It's fine. It was something like that. It's very good, very good, very clever. I like it. Whatever you must do to build that into your culture, like where do we need to remember something? Which leads me to this question. I started wondering how this would have been different if Paul would have had the internet. Like Paul just sent one letter to, to Philippi and it somehow survived. But, I, but, but I, I'm wondering if Paul would have had YouTube, how this would have been different if he emailed this letter to 100,000 people at once. Um, in about one minute, I'm going to show you a video, but I got to set the video up, but I, I want them to get the video ready. And I got to set this up because somebody sent this to me and it just moved me. And, um, I put it in my archive and I thought this is perfect. Um, I'm going to show you a video now because I'm convinced if Paul would have had the internet, he would have attached this video to this passage and says, if you want to know what shining like stars is, check this out. This is a, um, this is a girl. Um, she's, I'm guessing two, uh, maybe three. Uh, she's quite swollen. Uh, she's very, very ill. Um, she's in the hospital. Turns out she had been in the hospital for 344 consecutive days, um, which also means her mother is like champion of the world because she would have had to have been there as well. Um, and she's got tubes in her nose. And um, it turns out, turns out she's got leukemia and um, she's awaiting bone marrow treatments. And uh, 344 consecutive days waiting for the right match for a bone marrow. And uh, now, if, if anybody... Um, if anybody had the right to complain about their lot in life, it's this little girl uh, or, or, the, or the mother of this little girl. But, but they don't. 
um, they choose together to sing your song. It's a really cool thing. You're gonna see. You're gonna see the little girl looking off at the mom. The mom's obviously showing her motions and things like this. And at, oh, by the way, at the 22 second mark, she says something that sounds like baby garble. So I'm gonna tell you what she says so you can hear it. She says, "This is really awesome." Okay. And and you're you're gonna um, you're gonna see her. She's gonna sing a song. And I I'm convinced if Paul would have had the internet he would have attached this video to this passage to say, if you want to know what Shining Like Stars is, check this out. This is a 50-second video of a sick little girl singing you a song. Check this out. Let me hear it. What's the last thing you were going to grumble about? Shine like stars. That is shining. So I bless you, my brothers and sisters of Centurion and Pretoria and Joburg and wherever you drove from today. I bless you to be people, to not just be people who believe in the cross and resurrection, but allow the cross and resurrection to fundamentally transform your entire way you see your world. May you live and make a commitment starting with one day and then seven days. Seriously, the next time somebody wants to argue about something other than Jesus is the Christ, he was crucified, the resurrection is true. Just look at them and go, we shine like stars. We don't dispute things. We don't grumble. May we be that serious about being light in our world. Again, let me invite you back for tonight. It will change your life, I promise you. I promise you it will be worth your hour and 15 minutes tonight. I bless you to know you serve a God that believes in you more than you believe in him. May you be people who don't just believe in something, but allow it to change your world. And until tonight, and for the rest of your lives, may you shine like stars. Grace and peace.